no matter how high up, no matter what your title is, no matter how many degrees, no matter how many certifications, it doesn't matter. You're still seen as the help. You're still the one doing the PowerPoint deck. You're still the one setting up for the meeting, doing the team builder stuff, doing the support work, the admin work. That was Angel Henry, Senior Director of Transformation Value Management and Vice Chair of Diversity, Equity and Inclusion at Genesis and owner of Angel Speaking, talking about her tech career journey and her new book, Dents in the Ceiling, Tools Women and Allies Need to Break Through. And this is IBJ's The Freedom Forum with Angela B. Freeman. This podcast is brought to you by Cummins, Inc. Good afternoon, everyone, and thank you for joining me on the sixth episode of IBJ's The Freedom Forum with yours truly, Angela B. Freeman. This is our first episode of 2022, and on our previous episodes, we've been talking with entrepreneurs focusing in different business genres, including venture capital, construction, and STEM or tech. Today, we're going to keep that thing going as we speak with Angel Henry. Angel is a Senior Director of Transformation Value Management and Vice Chair of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion at Genesis. Angel spent over 20 years of her career in information technology at companies such as Eli Lilly and Carr and is considered a local tech guru. She's also an adjunct professor teaching IT students at Ivy Tech Community College as well as IUPUI. And Angel also is the owner of her own coaching and motivational speaking business called Angel Speaking. Most recently, over COVID, Angel took the opportunity that quarantine provided and engaged in interviewing and researching the experiences of about 30 women of color in tech. Angel's research led to her authorship of her first book, Dents in the Ceiling, Tools Women and Allies Need to Break Through, which has already known and won several accolades. So I'm super excited to welcome my Zeta Soror and fellow sister in tech, Angel Henry, to the Freedom Forum. Welcome, Angel. Oh, thank you so much, Angela, for having me. I'm so excited to have you here. And you know, we've been talking about this book for a while. So I'm excited to have you. But before we get started, um, why don't you start by telling our listeners a bit about you, your educational and professional background, and any other factors that led to you becoming a female entrepreneur who owns her own coaching and motivational business, also a tech guru, and then what led to your authorship of your first book that focuses specifically on diverse female experiences and particularly the black and African-American women experience in STEM and tech. Oh, wow. That's a lot. Right, right. (laughs) Where do we start? Well, it actually, for me, my tech journey began all the way back in high school. Okay. Um, I was fortunate enough to be part of um, an organization called Inroads. Okay. And Inroads is still here today. Um, They primarily focus on college students now. But back then, um, they were trying to get high school students into the pipeline. And they were particularly focused on women and um, underrepresented classes, ethnic minorities, in business, finance, and back then we called it computers. Right, 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 right. right. (laughs) And I think what happened, I'm going to suspect, 
it was a, a high school guidance counselor. Mm. Must have just run down a list of names. It was so about, I would say, 20-ish to 25 of us got ushered into um, a room. And they were like, well, I guess we made the cut somehow. Probably, (laughs) you know, a a high enough GPA score and a high enough PSAT score got it because, you know, we were like juniors. And a lady from En-ROADS came in and gave the song and dance about, you know, hey, if you, you know, come with us and on Saturdays we'll teach you and train you Mm -hmm. about corporate America and about your area, you, you can get scholarships. And then she said the magic word. She said, paid internship. Amen, amen, yeah. And that was all that was needed for me. I'm Sign me up. Yeah. And it happened, right? I mean, so you got to think about it, though. I'm in high school. So my friends, Saturday morning, they're sleeping in. Yeah. They're planning about going to the mall and hanging out. No, 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 no. Yours truly was at the University of Cincinnati from 8 to noon yeah. every Saturday morning learning how to interview, yeah. how to dress, how to speak corporate, and and how to interview. And that's exactly what we did. At the end of the year, they ushered us all into the gymnasium there at UC. And there were, um, you know, rows and rows of local organizations and companies that were there to interview us. And they did a matching. You would interview with three to five companies, and then you'd list your top three. They would interview students and list their top three students. And then there's some magic happened where they matched the student with the company. Right. I got matched with a papermaking company in northern Cincinnati. Wow. And that that was super exciting. Yeah, that was my first stint. All, phenomenal experience, right? Absolute cannot you just an amazing experience. And I highly stress to anybody who's listening who has a son or daughter in high school, get them those internships, yeah, especially sure. if it's tech or science, if they're in that space. Sure. Internships is critical. But that was my first foray as being the only, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, in that department. I was the only African-American female. There were other female, other African-American females that place, but we were all in different departments. Right, right. And so we would all cling together at lunchtime, right? Yeah, yeah. uh, How's your experience going? How are people treating you? Exactly. (laughs) And there was an African-American gentleman in my department. It was just me and him. Yeah. That was it. And I did that for three summers in a row. That's awesome. And again, phenomenal experience. And then I said, you know, I'm going to try something different. And then I went and did a consultant stint and again lonely and that was kind of the trigger and the theme throughout my career actually in tech has been very often being the only african-american female in the room in the department on the team etc etc um and so i did i made my way um here to indy through internships um landed at eli Lilly, various um jobs at at Lilly. again phenomenal work experience i tell everybody i was only going to stay here for a few years right right and then i was headed to the east coast because i wanted to get near water i'm still here right right? 20 years later exactly yeah. (laughs) yeah and so um just continuing to look to increase my scope in um, how I could be effective and add value at organizations. So that that's how I landed to the role that I'm in now. And Angel Speaking was born because a sponsor of mine tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, do you want to go present at a conference? We have an opening. I think you'd be good for it. And I was thinking to myself, present at a conference? 
what would I present on? And he said, well, the phenomenal work that you just did on your team, you, you guys just hit a huge milestone and, and you implemented a completely new methodology. I th- you could probably talk about that. Huh? Yeah, sure, I could do that. So I came up with a presentation, got it approved, went to the conference and spoke. And literally, and I'm, I'm not exaggerating, three, four years later, people, conference attendees will still come up to me and say, hey, I remember you. Mm-hmm. You're that agile girl. You're the girl that talked about that was such a great presentation. And, and that was my first foray into public speaking. Mm. And I loved it. I, I had a great time. I was like, I get to teach and train. That's my spiritual gift to a mass amount of people in workshops, conferences, et cetera. I want to, I want to do this all the time, every right. chance I can. And then Angel Speaking was born. That's awesome. Wow. That's such a, a expansive um, background. Your inroads program reminds me of the Center for Leadership Development programs that I have my son in currently here in Indianapolis. Absolutely. Sounds a lot of the same. Yes. So, so Angel, as I mentioned during your intro, you spent over two decades. You've just told us about your corporate background in so many different tech communities and environments, which I understand was really the impetus, as you just mentioned, to this entrepreneurship and authorship journeys that you've now taken. But what experiences have you personally encountered in the world of corporate tech and STEM leadership that made you want to learn more about the experiences of other black black, African-American, and diverse women. What got you there? Oh, wow. So <laughs> I, I had quite a few uh, negative experiences with some less than inclusive supervisors over the years. And I realized that looking at like hindsight's 2020, right? Sure, sure. But I realized looking back that my mantra, the way that I got through hard stuff and difficult situations personally and of course professionally was stuff it and go. Mm-hmm. Bottom line, just that happen, acknowledge it, move on. What are you going to do about it? Right, right. What are you going to do about it? And it's either avoid, get out, right? So either okay, I got to craft a way to 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 move the get myself, to get out, myself of this out of this team, right, right, or get myself out of this company if it was that bad, right, or just deal with it, right? How am I just going to deal with this situation and just cling and hang on until this person, you know, changes jobs or until they have another reorg? Because in IT, we're always reorging, so right, you know, right. you wait, you wait, literally <laughs> six to eight months, and there'll be another reorg. Things will change. Things will change, right? So. So that was my mantra. And I I realized how much I was doing that. And it just honestly just became rote, right? After a while, I didn't even think about it. And it was this new organization that I was in. And I thought to myself, man, I'm really getting out of a really negative work experience. And I don't want to bring that baggage Mm -hmm. from that company and that experience into the new one. I really would like to start fresh and clean, clean slate. These are brand new people I've never worked with before, brand new industry in telecom. I'm going to learn a lot. I'm excited. I want a clean slate. How do I mentally and emotionally wash myself myself. yeah 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 from that negative baggage and 
thank goodness I had a phenomenal mentor um, at Lilly, and she recommended me to a program, an organization called Emerge, or ITSMF, um, IT Senior Management Forum. They have an offshoot specifically for African-American women in tech called Emerge. Mm. And I'm like, if that's not for me, I don't know what it is. Right, so right, right. I had to, you know, figure out a way of, of how to craft my way to get in there because you needed company sponsorship. Mm-hmm. And this new company was willing to sponsor me in the program. So thankful. It changed me personally and professionally because now I am coming into a space where I look around and literally everyone in the room looks just like me right. and has a background very similar to mine right, right, and have experiences very similar to mine. So as we're opening up and sharing, I'm now having the aha moment of, oh, wait a minute. Right. It's not just me. Right, right, right. I wasn't the only one that felt that way. Right. This is a shared experience. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Okay, so that led you to go down the path of, okay, it's not just me. Clearly, this is a shared experience. But what made you get to the point where you decided, I want to interview all these women? And and how did you get there? And and what challenges did you at least foresee, you know, having to deal with in order to get women to confide in you, be open, especially women who, like you said, have have had the history history of what do you say shove it and go or Mm -hmm. stuff it and go right Mm -hmm. how did you get them to open up to you and be willing to share some of those experiences okay this was a god thing there is no other way to say it or put it i was coming at this from a perspective and i i kid you not i envisioned a three-page LinkedIn article. Mm -hmm. I envisioned that I was going to, once my um, mentor in Emerge suggested that I write down in order to help you know, cleanse myself and really start fresh in this new organization, she suggested I write. And I looked at her like she was crazy. I'm like, oh, honey, no, I don't have time for that. I'm a a wife, a mother. Did I tell you I just started a new job? I'm on a board. I'm volunteering. Yeah, not happening. And she's like, well, just think about it. And one night I was was triggered and I did. I thought about it and I opened up my notebook and I just start writing and literally could not stop because I was thinking back all the way to that first internship back in northern Cincinnati where I was the only one and how some strange weird stuff was going down right, right and I just kept writing and writing and writing and I now I have a whole notebook of just stories and vignettes and periods of time throughout my life where I felt discriminated against or alone or or there was some overt mistreatment happening right, right? Right, right and I sat there and I read it and I looked through it and I'm like okay I can't I, I know I'm not the only one I know I'm talking to the other women in my emerged cohort it would be great if I could get this out on LinkedIn or some sort of social media platform to where other women like me can read it and see it and be helped. And and the other ladies coming behind me, the other sure. group, right, sure. um, they can see and be kind of forewarned and, and prepare for, for what's to come. And so I envisioned this three-page LinkedIn article, and I said to myself, well, I, it can't just be my stories. I can't just put my stuff in here because people reading it will be able to dismiss it. Right, right. So I need to talk to other women, and I'm thinking three, four women that I could kind of pepper their stories into mine. Well, what happened? This is where I said this is a God thing. Literally that same week, and I'm not exaggerating, a colleague of mine, a new gentleman, keep in mind, I'm at a new company. Right. This man does not know me very well at all. 
And he reaches out to me out of the clear blue and he says, Angel, my daughter is at Spelman University. She's doing some research and I think you would be a great person for her to interview. And I was thinking to myself, well, what kind of research would she be doing to where she'd want to interview me? And he said, well, if you're okay, I'll put you in contact with her. But from my understanding, she's she's researching African-American women in tech who work in corporate America. Wow. And I, I said, I just sat there and looked at the email for like five minutes. I'm like, no way. <laughs> so I reach out to her. Long story short, I get, I, I somehow ended up, I think, on a listserv. And, and then it just populated from there. So instead of me contacting women and trying to get them to interview, they were contacting me and hmm. saying, hey, I heard you're looking for my story. You want to talk? <laughs> And it just blew up from there. Literally women from coast to coast. I talked to women from Washington State to Florida, every point in between, all generations, Hmm. from a lady who was two seconds from retiring from NASA, all the way to a lady who was an associate that had just started within the first three years of her company. It was phenomenal. And so to to answer your question around the challenges, well, the challenges came twofold. One, when we started talking and they would say, I don't think I have anything really that great. I mean, I could just tell you my situation or my story and my journey, but I don't think there's anything really in here that's like, you know, book worthy. And they were usually the ones that had some of the most amazing concrete examples of overt discrimination and racism. I was just like, oh my gosh, that, yeah, that's a noteworthy story. I had women who said to me, Angel, I've never told anybody else this before. Mm-hmm. I've never told my husband this. There were stories. I was nervous. I put some of my stories in here. I had never told my husband some of the things that happened to me. Sure. Uh, the story where the gentleman, I was very pregnant, and the gentleman threatened me uh, openly in front of other people. I never told my husband that. Yeah. yeah. I didn't want my husband going to jail. Yeah, he would have exactly. met that man in the parking lot <laughs> yes. at my job, yes. and I would have been bailing him out. Yeah, bailing him out. I've lost my job. Yes. Got like, yeah. yeah. All kind of drama. All of that, right? <laughs> I knew that would happen. So, I, so yeah, so hence the silence, yeah. right? Be- should, because we're scared of the ramifications. Down. Yeah, yeah very real so yeah so women were were it was kind of almost therapeutic sessions yeah uh we laughed we cried and then the one of the challenges i had were some of the women who were very high up and in very unique spaces mm-hmm. so engineering cybersecurity. those women were very careful about what they would share right. because if they shared too much then they could give away right who they who are, they are yeah, because yeah. we are in such rare spaces yeah. it's not many of us yeah, yeah. so if somebody wanted to do some some deductive you know backtracking right. it's pretty easy to find out it yeah. might not be yeah. too hard yeah. so i had to sign legal documents I had to promise um, my firstborn that I would not share (laughs) their name or their company name or anything that was unique that could be potentially identifying to them so at the end of the at the end of the day and at the end of these interviews I tell everybody I felt like I was Barbara Walters on 2020 interviewing people that was kind of behind the screen and they're they're blacked out and their voices changed yeah yeah because they're they're so scared about the ramifications of their job. Wow, that that's powerful. So let me ask you this, and let me challenge you a bit. So you you researched, you know, about thirty Black or African American women. 
why obviously you're a black woman so we understand that but why focus on that experience as compared to the broader experience of other diverse women why african-american women particularly absolutely well actually you know what it started with the emerge academy the emerge academy was born because itsmf had a management academy that was both from for african-american men and women that were going through the academy and what they were finding through their statistics and through their research is that the African-American men were climbing and advancing faster than their female counterparts. Mm -hmm. So that's when they had an aha moment to say there are some unique challenges to African-American women in corporate America that we need to tend to. And so therefore they, they, they have a separate group called Emerge now that's just for women. I found that you hear that anecdotally when we hear Sheryl Sandberg and the lean, lean in movement. You hear anecdotally from women um, who have this intersexuality of gender and race. And they say that that direction didn't help me. Right. In fact, in some cases, it, it hurt me. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. It hurt me. But but by and large, over, I'm, I'm overgeneralizing, right? By and large, the, that feedback is going to help white women. And so then through my research, I started asking these, as I was researching for the book and talking to executive coaches and professionals in their field, yeah. top executive coaches in their field, and I asked them, do you give different advice to white women than you do to black women? Resoundingly, they all said yes. Wow. They either fell into it, they either found it by accident where they were giving the advice to all women and and the minority women were not um, advancing and they noticed that, or minority women would come back and say, there's no way I could do that. Right, right. That's not going to work for me. That's not going to work for me. So you got to come up with a different advice (laughs) there, buddy or sister, right? And yeah, and yeah. over and so over time they organic or they knew going into it like oh no I know I'm gonna have to give different advice for for black women than wow. for white women yep wow yeah the one lady she made a comment that there's a delicate balance for women in the workplace in terms of showing up with their femininity and being confident and being a leader that's for all women for particularly African American women we have the worst issue in terms of walking this fine line, a very fine, delicate line of being competent, but being likable, mm-hmm. more so than any other ethnic group or underrepresented class. And why is that? Because of the, the, the bias, mm-hmm. the stereotypes we had, and I, I, I do a few of them in the book, I point out the, the Jezebel, the Mammy. Yeah. You, you see where women, especially black women, are just expected to work and expected to work for free, right? Oh, oh you wanted a raise? Oh, you wanted a promotion? I, I've, I've, I've actually had that. I've actually had an HR person surprised when I told them that, hey, I, but for the last two years, I've been killing myself because I want to advance because I'm, I'm trying to get a promotion. She was shocked. Oh, <laughs> I'm sitting there thinking like, you're um, not just happy at your same level for 20 years. That's not just okay for you. No, no. <laughs> yeah, we we have with with the unconscious bias, with the stereotypes, with these assumptions that people don't check, um, and then the uncomfortability of of trying to connect with somebody who has a couple of degrees of separation from you. Mm-hmm. All of that works against us. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's that's why. Mm-hmm.
Let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsor, Cummins, Inc. Cummins, Inc., a global power solutions leader, is proud to partner with IBJ's The Freedom Forum. For Cummins, diversity and inclusion is a core value of our company, and we are committed to creating work environments and communities that are welcoming to all people. Combined with technological innovation, diversity and inclusion is a critical element of Cummins' continued success. It's how we attract and retain top talent and better serve our customers around the world, and create stronger communities. We're back with Angel Henry, Vice Chair of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion at Genesis and owner of Angel Speaking on the Freedom Forum with Angela B. Freeman, talking about being an entrepreneur, her career journey, and her new book, Dents in the Ceiling, Tools Women and Allies Need to Break Through. What did you learn that was some of the biggest challenges experienced by your cohort of women that you interviewed, especially black women, that they encounter that are not experiences that generally are experienced by either white men or even their Caucasian female counterparts? What are some of the experiences that, you know, kind of made your mouth drop or you're just like, oh, wow, (laughs) really? Yeah. Because I know as I read your book, there were some things even I was like, that's that really that actually happened. happened. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I, I'm kind of flipping through because I'm like, oh, there's three. Right. One is and they're kind of they're intricately linked uh, between being the only right and being invisible. It's really interesting because you're thinking like, well, don't I physically stand out if I'm the only African-American female right. in the room? Right, you would right. think it would I, I would command the room. Right. Right? right. But somehow that intersection can actually lead me to be invisible. And the one theme that I heard over and over and over again was this theme of when I talk, no one responds. And I swear I thought it was just me. I was shocked. I'm like, really? So if I, if we're in a meeting, let's say there's 10 people around the table. Sure. Everybody's chiming in with an idea. And, and then people give feedback. Oh, John, that's a great idea. Oh, Lisa, you know what? And and then they'll expound on it. Right. So there's some sort of acknowledgement of the person who just spoke before you. And then you talk. And that seems that it's an, it's actually insane to watch. But then when it comes to the African-American female, when she speaks, it gets glossed over and the person behind her just starts talking without acknowledgement of what she just said. Right, right. And so then you're left thinking, did they not hear me? Did right. they not understand? Right. Was, did I not articulate it correctly? How is it that everyone else got acknowledged about their comment or their comment was expounded upon and the conversation just kept going without any acknowledgement as if I'm not even in the room right, and right, as right. if I didn't say anything. Right, right. That theme over and over again. Really? And, I, and it got to the point where I purposefully started to look for it. Right, right. Happened to me. And so when it does happen to me, and it still does happen, then I've, I have grown now in my confidence to where I will speak up. Did you hear me? Right. I, oh, I said, right. right, right. It, it, what, what do we think about that? Right. And I'm also purposeful to look for it when it happens to other women sure. as well. 
because I have noticed it happening to other women as well. Um, But by and large, African-American women have that over and over again. And then the other theme is the maid service. Yeah, yeah. Which is absolutely like really. So no matter how high up, no matter what your title is, no matter how many degrees, no matter how many certifications, it doesn't matter. You're still seen as the help. You're still the one doing the PowerPoint deck. You're still the one setting up for the meeting, doing the team builder stuff, doing the support work, yeah. the admin work. Now, keep in mind, nobody has an issue with that. The problem is that it's, it's, it's dealt out and not in an equitable fashion. Sure, sure. Where I, I'm fine with doing it. I'll take my turn, but why doesn't John right. or Bill or Steve get to take his turn as well? Right, right. Is that seen as woman's work? Right. Right? Or black woman's work. Or black woman's work. Right, right, right. Exactly. Well, so you speak to that. Um, My last episode, I spoke with my partner, Don Roseman, who said she was an equity partner in the firm. She's still the only black female equity partner in the firm. And she, early on in her career, was sitting at the firm in, you know, in business clothes, you know, reading a book or preparing for a meeting or something. And a woman, a white woman, came out of another meeting and said, um, can you get us something to drink in here? And Don looked like, oh, she's, is she talking to me? And, right. and the woman said, excuse me, you know, can you get... And Don was like, um, I will ask someone to get you something to drink. But, you know, like, but just the assumption. And it never even dawned. Like, Don said she was getting... She was getting frustrated, like, why aren't you moving? Like, what's the problem here? Like, it never even dawned on her that she wasn't the help or the maid service or whatever it is. Like, not, and certainly not an equity partner at the firm. So that absolutely happened. I mean, unquestionably, and to your point, doesn't make a difference how, how affluent you are, how many degrees you have. There are some people whose bias just will never see that when they look at me and you. That's not who they see, that you could be the senior executive of whatever team or whatever corporation or whatever. So yeah, that's, that's absolutely real. So uh, Angel, as we as we continue to um, talk about so many of the learnings of your book, and I learned so much, I- I'd like for you to share with our listeners an excerpt or a summary of one of the most shocking stories. You said you had two or three that you described from some of the experiences of your contributors of the book, some of the people that you interviewed, because I just want to give people a flavor of the realness of this book. I I told you when I first cracked it open and read like the first two, three pages, I'm like, oh, okay, we're going all the way there. Like this is, this is going to be as real. And, and, And I think that's what makes it so valuable is it's not glossed over. It's not the pretty, um, you know, uh, uh, nice. It, it is the truth and the realness and the, you know, the impact, the, the scars, the hurt that comes with all these, you know, challenging experiences that so many black women and women of color, women generally, right, have experienced. So, so can you share with us an excerpt? Absolutely. So this this one is perfect. We'll talk about maid service and then we'll go into what I call the kiss. Okay. Yeah. So the maid service one is um, a, an agile coach. She's here in the Midwest. She said, so then I became like the auntie, the mama, whatever of the group, right? Because it was these older executive men 
and they needed somebody to put their decks together. She was referring to slide decks to do the research and to to put our points of view together on the topics. And I was that somebody, right? My managers would treat me like an intern. I was getting coffee. And I'm like, why am I getting coffee? I'm a consultant. Right, right, right. <laughs> so she's on the same level as them, practically. As we know, in, in IT, you've got consultant, you have senior consultant and executive. She's literally one or two levels down, but consultant is pretty pretty high up there and and they're treating her like she's you know yeah. get coffee yeah like, the, one of the most outstanding ones is yeah. the one I call the kiss right <laughs> and I still like got to wrap my head around this so the situation is that this is this woman's first day of work and she says to me so I've never had this conversation angel and you can decide if you want to include this but I've had a white man kiss me what <laughs> on the job on the cheek? No, ma'am. Directly on my mouth. <laughs> oh, my. Oh, okay, what context was that? We were standing talking outside. Oh, okay, 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 wait a minute. Hold on a second. What was the relationship? Was, was this person a customer, a supervisor, your peer? He was my boss. Your direct supervisor? Yes. Wow. How long had you been working for this person? I was new. A new relationship? Yeah, it was a new relationship. And you guys were just out? You were out there and, well, we left out of the office and we're just in a conversation talking about work and he just lunges over and kisses me on my mouth. Oh my. You come outside and you guys are hanging around, chatting it up, (laughs) and for whatever reason, he reaches over and kisses me on my mouth. I was so stunned. I was like, excuse me? In the middle of the conversation? Yes, Angel. I never, I replayed it over and over again. Well, what did he say? Well, I said, I don't know what he thought was going on here (laughs) because he was my boss and maybe he had some experience. Oh, right, right, right. A previous situation or something. Look, honey, I don't know. So you remove yourself from the situation. You get out of there, right? And the next day, did you just ask to be reassigned? Yeah, um, no, I wasn't going back there. Like, I'm not. Okay, so you still work for the company. You're just in a different department? No, I completely left the organization. (laughs) You mean you literally just never showed back up the next day? Correct. (laughs) Wow. I mean, that stuff you just can't make up. You can't make that up. can't make that up. And she had never told anybody. I was the first person she had told that to. And that happened years, years ago. ago. She was a seasoned executive by the time I talked to her about Man. that. And how do you, you know, that just leaves so many questions. What did I do? What did he do? What was he thinking? <laughs> is this just status quo? Like, is this hazing? Is this like what in the world? I cannot imagine. I can't imagine. Either. I cannot imagine. Although I got close. I, I did have a supervisor who was interrogating me about my personal relationship with my then fiance, oh, now wow. husband. Ultimately, he was turning our de- career development conversations into marriage counseling conversations. Unsolicited marriage counseling. Unsolicited marriage counseling. (laughs) He thought he was genuinely doing me a favor. 
I, I, we had to get HR involved, and he really genuinely was surprised and did not think he had done anything wrong. Wow. They had to specifically tell him, dude, you can't talk to your employees about their personal business. Right, right. Wow. That's so interesting. <laughs> so you go from, you know, bosses and supervisors who don't even see you, don't acknowledge you, don't recognize you, to ones who are all up in your personal mix. Like, yeah. Wow. And every spectrum in and between. And every spectrum from touching. I, I had one very well-meaning lady. I, I, I like her. We're still good <laughs> friends. But it was odd. It was odd. As I was leaving out of her, ha- out of her um, office, we had just had a work conversation. It w- went very well. And I was leaving out, and she got a little overexcited and literally ran over the woman between me and her because she was trying to touch my dreadlocks. She just wanted to touch them. And she literally ran over the woman in between us so she could try to touch me. And I should just see this hand coming at me from the side. And I'm like, what are you doing? And so it was, it, it's sad, but it was refreshing to hear so many other women talk about how they had been touched inappropriately with their hair at work. So, so at let's work. talk about that. Let's talk about that, uh, Angel, because I don't think non-diverse people really understand, like, why, why black people so uptight about their hair? Why? I just had not too long ago. I was at a conference, and a white man, and like you said, we're cool, we're friends, like, but he literally petted me, oh like, my God. petted me, and I'm like, sir, <laughs> do not touch my hair. Do you know this stuff may fall out at any moment? Like, you can't just... You can't pet me. I'm not an animal. But but I, I don't think people always understand or appreciate. So let's talk about that. I mean, let's talk about what is the issue with black women in particular, black women's hair, and why is it so off limits? And, and I think you and I have spoken before mm-hmm. or been in context where the, to, to put this in context for the non-diverse audience, Many black men don't get to touch their black women's hair. Correct. Never less strangers on the street. Correct. Right? So, Correct. So with that background, <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's talk about, you know, the idea of why hair is so... Um, such a touchy subject for black women. Um, we've talked about the the Crown Act and some things. Let, let's just enlighten our audience for those who may not know or appreciate the issue around hair and black people, particularly black women. Yeah, absolutely. So um, to, to give context, I always give the analogy of a woman who is pregnant. And very often you will hear women who are pregnant that really don't want their stomachs to be touched right. by a stranger. Right. So if so when you move your hand to go out to touch her belly, pause, stop, and ask right. if it's okay. Right. The same rule applies for women and their hair. If you want, if your hand goes out just because you want it, it's a different texture and you've never seen it before. It's a different hairstyle and and Angela's come to work with straight hair all her life and all of a sudden overnight now it's it's fluffy and curly and it looks so awesome and you just want to touch it pause <laughs> pause and think let me ask her if it's okay 
So same rules apply, right? I mean, it would be really odd if you're walking down the street with your husband right. and another man just reaches out and touches your stomach. Right, right, right. Okay, same rules apply here. Right, right. Um, but particularly for black women, there there has been a history um, in this country all the way back to slavery where our hair has been regulated. It's been a thing all the way from you know, in, in Africa still to this day, there's lots of uh, braiding styles. We All of our hair has different texture. And when you're in the hot sun and you're outside um, and it's, it's dry, you're not getting a lot of moisture. Our hair does not typically have a lot of moisture. We, we typically use protective styles to protect our hair. Um, and it's usually braiding and some sort of locking or or twisting or putting t- the hair together in, in um, a braiding or a pigtail or, or what have you. And and that tradition and, and also, you know, very historically. Right. Um, you, you have tribes where where how they how they do their hair in terms of braiding and textures um, relate it back to the tribe that they were from and and, in the cultural um, aspects of it. So just the same way that you have a kilt or a dress, we are prideful in our hairstyles, right? It's part of our culture. And, And that was stripped away from us along with our names, along with our dignity, along with our freedom. When, when slavery ensued. And, and that has carried on. And then if you think about it, particularly in the Southwest, like Louisiana area, or areas where there was a lot of mixing, right. and you see a lot of um, African American women that are mixed with some other ethnicity, and their hair is now some sort of straight or curly or a different texture. Uh, and they would wear their hair out and that would be attractive. Well, there were laws against that. So then the women would start to wrap their hair up in bonnets or turbans or or different headscarves. And even that started to get regulated because the bonnets and turbans and hairstyle and 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 and, and headscarves were too um ethnic. or and, and you know, too colorful. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. it was just it's just it's constant. And, and I have to educate our audience because people might think you might be lulled into the falsehood. It is a lie to think that that is over. It is not over. Right. I myself personally, three years ago, had to sign a petition for my coworker to have her grandson graduate from kindergarten mm. with cornrows in his hair. Mm. That was three years ago. I personally had to do that. I personally have had my good friend who was in the military come home crying saying that she had to take her cornrows out or the style that she had just done because the military had just enacted a rule where they couldn't have cornrows in certain certain braids. Right. And, and hers were of a certain length or a certain thickness um, that she couldn't have, so she had to take it out. Now, you have to keep in mind, when doing our hair whether it's a weave, a perm, a relaxer, locks, twists, you name it, whatever it is, there's usually a lot of time and or money involved (laughs) in it, okay? So for those listeners that are shocked and surprised, we we do not have the luxury of a Great Clips $20 haircut. That is just not something in in our culture. That is is not something that happens, right, for African-American women. We are talking hundreds, yeah. if not thousands of dollars for these hairstyles. That takes a lot of time. Right. I, oftentimes, I mean, sister locks alone, 
that's a that's a months long process. And to just install, the, meaning the initial put in of the sister locks is somewhere in the neighborhood of 48 to 72 hours, depending on the length of hair. So lots of time, lots of money, lots of investment into getting your hair in the style that you want and keeping it in that style. For someone to turn around and say, oh, that's not approved. Go take that out. Oh, my God. And we've heard of stories where kids have just gotten their hair cut. Oh, my God. By school officials because... Like all of that is real. And so so I, I bring that up because I know we've had that conversation and people just don't understand. And it's a real thing. Mm-hmm. Like in California or somewhere, they in, in, enacted the Crown Act, which yes. means you cannot discriminate against yeah. people based on their hair, based on what style of hair. Yeah. But, you know, you'll see all day on LinkedIn, black women posting pictures of their natural hair and saying, this is professional. This is professional, too. And they're making the point because it has historically been said that, oh, no, you you know, as a black woman wears their natural hair, that's not professional enough. And so, so many of us have straightened our hair, done things to our hair that's not healthy. Absolutely. That has broken off our hair trying to keep up with, yes. you know, what has been deemed professional. Correct. And I also want to make the point that that is why also more, Um, Most recently, there was all this drama and hoopla and controversy around some white women wearing cornrows on the um, runway. Yeah, on the (laughs) runway, because the whole point was, oh, now when white women wear cornrows, it's stylish and fashionable and in. But when black women who've been wearing cornrows for a thousand years is controversial and not professional and not... And that's where that's the controversy and drama and kind of challenge. When Bo Derek did it in the 80s, it was sexy. Right, right. When Tamika did it, it was a problem and she had to take them out. That's right. And that's the issue. That's exactly right. That's the issue. It's the bias (laughs) and the two two different, yeah, uh, levels and... Uh, rules applied to the exact same thing. Yeah. So yeah, I, I appreciate you bringing some light to that because I I have very high confidence that this is something that a lot of people are like. We just don't understand. We yeah. just don't get what the issue is. Why all the drama around hair? But sadly, hair is a real issue in corporate America for black women and diverse women generally Absolutely. and it's something that we don't typically talk about publicly it's the right. things we talk about behind closed doors about girl did you know such and such just touched my hair today <laughs> um those kind of things so that's why so thanks for talking about that another thing i learned from your book and reading it and i've told you you know you have a real book like angel's book is a thick book um and so it took me some time to get through it but and one of the things i learned and i want to bring some highlight to is the Althea test. You talk a lot about the Althea test and I want you to explain what that is, how it may be utilized as a diversity, equity, and inclusion tool to evaluate and or change corporate cultures to increase inclusion and belonging. Can you tell us about this test and and its impact in corporate America? Absolutely. Um, So it started when I was researching the intersexuality of uh, race and gender. Yeah. And it came to be that I I came upon this article uh, written by Ann Juan Simmons at AnnJuanSimmons.com, where she is a DEI, diversity, equity and inclusion consultant. And she says, you know what? I have a cheat code 
This is basically a hack. For all my techies out there, this is the hack. For the gamers, this is the cheat code. She says, look, if you're a DE&I consultant, shh, don't tell anybody, but I can assess and measure your maturity of your organization in about three questions. Okay. And it's like, what? How is that? Right, right. And she calls it her Althea test. And basically, it's looking at how the organization views, treats, and supports its African-American female employees. Okay. So she says, hey, I'll go to the VPs and the executives and those usually men in the C-suite and say, do you have any black women who are individual contributors right now in your organization? Do you know their names? Do you know what they do? Are they on a plan for, for career progression? Do you see any of those women taking your seat one day? Right. And if the answer is no to any of those questions, she can pretty much quickly say, we got some work to do. Right. The theory behind that is that, look, I kind of I liken it to Jesus when he said, if you do to the least of these, yeah. you do to me. Yeah, that's right. If you are doing to the least of the population, how are you treating your homeless and your elderly? Right. That will then dictate your value system throughout your society and your culture. So I can go into a company. How are you treating the person that has the least amount of clout, the least amount of social and political capital in the organization? Right. That typically, from a hierarchical standpoint, is usually black women at the bottom, white men at the top of the rung, and varying genders and ethnicities are in between. Right. So if we just go straight to the lower rung. Go to the bottom. And say, how are they being brought into the organization? How are they being onboarded, trained, nurtured, encouraged, career progression, succession planning? Sure. If if we have all of those things lined up, she says nine times out of ten, you're probably pretty mature. Right. You're the, those systems that are in place for those women, if they're successful and they're doing well, are then just through osmosis, right? Just happening well for all those other for populations. Else. Yep, yep, yep. So if we can start supporting them and putting those processes and systems in place for them, then we will then naturally help others everyone else. everyone else yeah 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 that's the Althea test yeah I appreciate that I, I thought that was powerful I yeah. had never heard of that before mm-hmm. but it actually it, it really does get just to the heart of things right cut to the chase yeah that's right I mean because if you're promoting diverse women black women women of color then I gotta assume that everybody else in the organization is doing pretty okay right I, I think that's a great tool and and certainly one that could streamline a lot of the DNI, you know, initiatives, programs, focuses if they would get there. Because quite frankly, my my vantage point on a lot of DNI efforts is companies are more than willing to do things externally, but d- looking internally and changing your own processes and your own recruiting mechanisms and your own promotion, you know, criteria and all that thing. 
all those things are a lot harder to do, right? Um, Absolutely. So, so what I appreciate about the Althea test is it kind of, again, cuts to the chase. Let's just get to the heart of it. And so that's pretty powerful. So, so we're going to wrap up here soon, but I want to ask you a couple questions about, you know, you specifically, the book specifically is titled, you know, How Women and Allies Can Break Through. Yeah. And so I want to make sure that we speak to the allies and particularly our majority allies and and what are some tools or tips, some nuggets that you learned from the book or were reiterated by your book that you particularly think or would hope that allies reading your book take away as action items or, you know, action plans that they can help do exactly what the Althea test is meant to do, which is to help the least of these, the women, people of color who don't always have the same benefits and privileges. Absolutely. I hope my, my, my goal is if a Caucasian male picked up the book and read it from cover to cover, coming out of it, I hope that one, there's awareness there. Awareness that I don't have to haze this person. Because dang on it, they've been hazed from from grade school or, or high school, yeah, right? Yeah. They've, they've, they've gone through so many challenges and, cro- and so many burning hoops to get to this seat at the company that I'm sitting across from them. I don't have to have them prove to me right. that they deserve to be here. That's powerful. So so yeah. let's stop that right. now. Right, right. Right. So let's stop the hazing and the you got to prove to be here stuff. Right. right. So, so stop that. And then two, take it a step further and open your mouth and realize, look around, physically look around and see if she's the only one. If she is the only African-American on your team, safe, safe to make some assumptions that she's feeling a little lonely. Right. Not always. Not always the case. Not always the case. But go ahead and at least reach out. Right. And say, hey, let's get some coffee, virtual, whatever. How are you doing? Right. How, how's it going here? Let, let's talk. The team meeting, debrief, whatever. Connect on a personal level. Get to know her lived experience and her, big, her background. You share yours to make that connection. Yeah. So I really hope that they take that step to act and to make that connection. And then thirdly, oh, my gosh, the continued support and the sponsorship is critical. That is that sponsorship, that is how we are going to make significant change. So it's no longer good enough for you to mentor all these women and all these young folks coming in. That's great. That's fine. Nothing against mentorship. I need you to act. I need you to sponsor them. That means you're going to be giving up your social or political capital in the organization and get them a bonus, a promotion, a stretch opportunity, or or give them some very concrete feedback that will help them get to one of those things. Right, right. So I need you to be more active and involved. And here's the difference. This is what I tell everybody. This is the example. If I have a mentee named John and John bombs a big presentation in front of six executives and I get wind of it, I'm going to be like, oh, man, John dude, man, I heard it didn't go so good. Okay, we, we, hey, look, I bombed a presentation too before. Let me tell you what I did to get over it. Right. That's a mentorship relationship. Right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring you in and I'm going to rub your back and I'm going to 
give you, if I'm a good mentor, I'll give you some specific tips and tricks on how to get over this and do better next time. Right. Right. If any mentor worth their salt, that's a mentor relationship. I don't have any skin in the game. Josh is my mentee. If he bombed it, oh well. No reflection on no you. No reflection on me whatsoever. But if I'm the one that recommended John to do that presentation, right? Oh, that's gonna look very poorly on me. Why, Angel? Why would you recommend John for that? He bombed it. Oh my goodness, that's a reflection on my name. Right. That I, I. Oh, oh my goodness. I'm gonna do everything in my power. To make sure that that never happens again with John. Right, right. Right? It's a different level of being involved and active. And invested. And invested. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and that, that's what we need. Yeah. That's what we need. We need sponsorship. Right, right. What we've learned is mentorship simply is not enough, particularly when you get to the executive level. And I say that because I don't know any companies at this point, right, that have issues with just hiring diverse talent, particularly at the menial levels, right? At the elementary levels. But when you start advancing, my goodness, all kind of barriers come out of the woodworks that, well, I've been working at this company 13 years. I've never heard that you had to do this and you had to do that. And that's when it does take someone at that same level to come in and sponsor you and acknowledge that, okay, I've known Angel for X amount of years. I've been involved with her development. I know she can do this, right? She may not be perfect on paper. She may not have the degree that you say you want, but I'm putting my capital on the line there you go. and vouching for her that if you give her this opportunity, I will personally make sure she's successful in the opportunity. Yes. Right? Yes. That's what it takes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, we've all heard set up for failure. Right. But I've seen way more set up for success. Right, right. I've seen way more folks that have fallen flat on their face, bombed the presentation, completely messed up that upgrade, um, picked the wrong technology suite, it just um, mishandled financial funds. I've seen it all. And I've seen it all get covered up. Yeah, yeah. And I've seen it and they, all they get... And they survived, they thrive, it's all right. And, they're yeah. mo and they moved on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so uh, that's the type of grace and sponsorship that black women and women of color often Never. don't get. Things like that, you're going home that day wondering if your badge works on Monday when you arrive. If You, you cannot make a mistake. <laughs> that's right. Cannot that's right. make a mistake. Wh which goes back to your point of the undue hazing, right? If you've made it to the point where you're even interviewing for that executive leadership position or that CEO or the C-suite position or whatever it is, you've already overcome more barriers or more obstacles and more challenges than your privileged or or our non-diverse counterpart and that's the reality of the situation that's powerful stuff angel i appreciate you so as we wrap up i'm going to ask you for you you've just given some tips for our allies which i think is powerful and i want to end on a few tips or tools or resources that you would advise women or diverse women who are interested in following your path whether that is starting their own business whether that is becoming an entrepreneur whether that is becoming an author or continuing in the path of corporate executive leadership what 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 um, tools or tips do you have for those folks? Absolutely. Um, I would say I, first off, 
find a mentor, someone who is doing the business that you want to do and they are successful at it. Yeah, yeah. So if you want to go into public speaking, if you want to be an author, if you want to be a fill in the blank consultant, IT consultant, you want to hang out your shingle and go on your own, that is great. There are tons of resources out there for women and and, uh, minority business owners. But to navigate um, what should I get an LLC or an S Corp or a, right. uh, the, the tax ramifications, the legal ramifications, how to set up my entity, all the different nuances in your state yeah. that you need to know. You need to find a mentor, someone that is a few steps ahead of you, that is doing it successfully, that can help you navigate those waters, right? Also, too, the second step. Work with your mentor to get very crystal clear on who you help. Angela, you called out pretty clearly, Angel, your book was specifically around African-American women. Right. Yeah. I got real clear on who I wanted to help. Absolutely. And who this book was for and who this book was about. So laser focus because... If I'm speaking to everybody, I'm speaking to nobody. Right, right, right. So I have to get very clear on who my audience is and who I'm talking to. And and some of the best advice that I got from my mentor is you you talk from home. You talk from where you know. Right. And and I I don't I know 20 years of being a black woman. I know that's right. So that's what I'm going to talk about. That's the lane I'm staying in. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then thirdly, your support network. Angela, you are as part of my support network. Thank you. So many other African American um, women and and majority women yeah. in the Indianapolis and Midwest areas Absolutely. have supported me throughout this the creation of the book and and the marketing and and then buying it in book clubs and you know. comments and you know if you get the book, please go out on Amazon, make a comment, um, a review. So many people have supported me, a good, strong support network, a good, what I call tribe, a good girl tribe is everything. Because I will tell you, I've been in corporate for 20 years, going out and doing something where you're an entrepreneur, it is hard work. It is just you. And you need that mental support. You need that, oh, man, I, I, did, I, I bombed that sales conversation. They, they didn't buy my package or, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, you're going to need someone Absolutely. to scoop you up and dust you off and say, that's okay. Keep, dry, keep trying, girl. Right, right. You got Because this. you will absolutely get derailed. Life will happen. And you'll forget to do your social media marketing. You'll forget to follow <laughs> up with that contact. You'll forget you, you'll get so many appointments. You'll get double booked. It'll be insane. And you need someone to help you navigate all of that and get through that from a mental and emotional perspective, as well as a, a tactical one uh, for your business, too. So so those are my key, my three key um, three. Three key points <laughs> is please make sure that you have someone who is knowledgeable about business and is doing it. I cannot stress this enough successfully. I can't tell you how many women I've seen fall to the wayside because they're listening to other women who've gone into business. And if their business is not thriving, that is not the person you need to be listening to. Amen. <laughs> I know that's right. <laughs> Somebody who's successful. That's your mentor. Yeah. And then get crystal clear on your message and get that girl tribe. Man, that's awesome. 
Angel. Thank you so much for that. Thank you so much for joining us today on this, again, first episode of the Freedom Forum in 2022. This has been absolutely powerful. And if you'd like to learn more about Angel's journey or her book, Dents in the Ceiling, I invite you to join us at Women in High Tech Special Edition Executive Women's Forum in February. Actually, I think it's February 15th, where we will be hosting uh, Angel for another awesome opportunity to talk about what we've learned with regard to Dents in the Ceiling and how our allies can get actionable in helping support women and diverse women in corporate tech and STEM. With that, I'm going to close and thank you all again for joining us for this episode of IBJ's The Freedom Forum with Angela B. Freeman.